Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode number 10. We're calling this one That's Baseball. I'm Dustin Rhodes, the executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show, now live daily from 5.30 until 10 on 6.70. The score, your radio home for Cubs baseball. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, you can hear me mornings 5 to 5.30 before we hand it off to Mully and Haw. And as always, I am joined by my buddy Crawley. Crawley, how are we doing? Doing good. You can follow me at Crawley's Cubs. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fly the W670 and on Facebook, Fly the W. We also have an email account, Fly the W670 at gmail.com. And Dustin, that is baseball. We laughed about it before we uh, ended the last episode where the Cubs looked like they were going to get cr- crushed by the Braves and instead they took two or three. Then they dropped three or four for the, from the pirates. And then they come in and take two or three in St. Louis. He, you just can't predict this stuff. No, you can't. And that's a great way to label this one season one, episode 10. That's baseball. Okay. Before we even got into these series getting underway, we got, um, kind of surprising news, but news that both you and I both wanted. I don't mean to be mean or ill-willed, but the Cubs before that game, DFA, Jonathan Villar and activated David Bodie. Yeah, shot, you know, we knew that they were going to have to do something and 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 the potential idea was maybe Chris Morrell goes back down or something. We didn't know what was going to happen, but Bodie came and VR was actually in Friday's lineup. So, at Cubs Twitter releases the lineup. There's David, there's Jonathan VR playing second, and I'm just going, "Oh, here we go again." And that next thing you know, they DFA him and then they put out a new lineup with Bodie at second. So that was kind of shocking. Right. I mean, we we knew what we knew what Jonathan Villar was. He'd be a, an okay bench guy on an okay team. The Cubs, if they would, boy, Crawley, you want to talk about words. If they would have set Morell down instead of DFAing somebody, mainly a Jonathan Villar. I mean, Ortega's been playing good. You wouldn't DFA him. And okay, I guess I guess we need to see David Bodie. Okay, that's fine. We could see some more David Bodie. I think we know what he is. He's not lighting the world on fire, but he also shouldn't get uh, Wally pipped because he went on the IL for a while. Right. And, and we're going to talk a little bit about Christopher Morrell. You know, it's something that I warned about when, when he went on that 22 game on base streak is that the league is going to adjust and now it's up to Morrell to adjust back. And sometimes that can be tricky. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that, but it was like, you know, nothing against Jonathan BR. He just wasn't hitting that great. He had some good games, but the glove just killed you. So if this, you know, if this was pre-DH era, he'd be a great bench guy, like you said, to take a pinch hit at bat. Great for that. Um, During the DH era, if you wanted to use him just at DH, he's not the greatest hitter. He's doing okay. But putting him in in defense is a liability. And what made me so mad the last time that we talked is that when you have a young pitching staff like the Cubs do, you need to have solid defense behind those guys so that those pitchers feel comfortable that if they execute their pitches, the plays will be made behind them. And that did not happen in the Pirates series. And Jonathan BR was a big part of that. Absolutely right. All right, let's get into Cubs Cardinals, which I do believe is one of, if not the greatest rivalries in baseball. It was Friday night. It was in St. Louis. It was Apple TV plus, which I do not have. We'll get to that in a moment, but I did have the app working in my pocket. I sat on the back deck and I listened to Kyle Hendricks win three, nothing over the Cardinals. How did it all work out Crowley? Well, you can't complain. Cubs win three, nothing. The funny thing is, is the last time Hendricks started was versus the Braves and that team absolutely owns Kyle Hendricks. This start against the Cardinals, Kyle owns the Cardinals. And so he went 7.1 innings pitched. He gave a five hits, one walk, six Ks of shutout ball. And so in the top of the second, Wisdom singled. Nico Horner drilled one into the left field bleachers. That's his fourth of the season. The Cubs were up 2 nothing. 
later on in the fifth with one out. Morrell walked a Wilson singles, Hap doubled, and the Cubs are off a three nothing lead. Bottom of the eighth gets a little bit dicey. Uh, Dylan Carlson for the Cardinals singles, Bader doubles. You had runners at second, third. Uh, Lars Newtbar strikes out swinging, and that was the end of Hendricks' night. Chris Martin came in, got Tommy Edmond to ground back to the pitcher, and then Nolan Gorman lined out to Nico to end the threat. Uh, and like I said about Kyle, after the game, Cardinals manager Oliver Marmol said, I'm ready for him to retire. That's my thought on Kyle Hendricks. He does a nice job and baffles the shit out of me every time, knows what he's doing, controls counts, mixes well, and keeps guys off balance. Yeah, I'm tired of seeing his face. So Oliver Marmol uh, sums it up. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is 13-3 and with a 2.69 ERA in 25 career starts against St. Louis. Yeah, those are unbelievable numbers. I, I knew he was good against the Cardinals, but I had very, very little faith going into it. Before we before we move on to game two, do you are you an Apple TV plus guy? I do have I have to watch all the games and Apple TV, I would say the first time I watched it, you were able to sync up with Pat and Ron. Ah, nice. On six seventy. This time I don't know, it wasn't working for me. So Definitely frustrating. What I will tell you is the picture is phenomenal, like 4K quality. Uh, but I don't like the announcers. I, I was just, I mean, that was my next question. Who who had that game, Crawley? If you I remember, I don't want to I put can't you remember off the top of my head. They were it, so, but they were they were not memorable. So why remember remember their names? Right. It was it just irritated me, and it, and like I said, I was so frustrated because the last time I was able to sync with Pat and Ron from the app, so. You know, actually, maybe that was on the YouTube. There's so many different things. Yeah, I think so, it was many, YouTube, so many different platforms. YouTube, Sorry. you could sync. Apple, you couldn't. So the announcers just weren't good, and there was no – you can't pause it. So normally in the past, like if it was like a uh, four-letter network game on Sunday Night Baseball and I didn't like the announcers, you know, I would pause the game on my uh, TV, sync up Pat and Ron, and it would work perfect. You can't do that with the Apple. So the picture, awesome. The call, not so good. Not so good. All right, let's talk about game two. This was Saturday afternoon, and Adrian Sampson went for the Cubs against the Cardinals in game number two. They did drop that one five to three, but Sampson wasn't the reason why, right, Crowley? No, he went, he did great. He, he was really baffling the Cardinals. He went five innings pitch, two earned runs, five Ks. Uh, he had some bad luck in the first inning. What ends up happening with two outs is Paul Goldschmidt singles, which again, Paul Goldschmidt. But Arenado doubled on this little cheap bloop to left. Uh, Goldschmidt gets to third. Brendan Donovan singles on a soft by, fall, uh, fly ball. That scores Goldschmidt and Arenado, and the Cubs are down 2-0. And this is what drives you nuts. Sometimes the Babbitt gods are not in your favor. Uh, Statcast on Arenado's double. That was a 74.3-mile-per-hour bloop, and Donovan's single was 58 miles per hour. That's just telling you these aren't hard-hit balls. They just went in the right spot. Nothing. Uh, when you look at Samson, he made the pitches he needed to, and it just didn't work out. So in the top of the fifth, uh, Wisdom and Nico went back-to-back -back singles. Gomes flied out. Wisdom advances to third on that fly out. Uh, Rivas had a sack fly, and Wisdom scored Cubs trail 2-1. Uh, Nelson Velasquez, who singled, he started the game on a line drive to right. Nico moves to second. Runners at first and second. Two outs, but Morrell struck out swinging. Like I said, we'll talk about Morrell. Uh, bottom of the six, Rowan, uh, Rowan Wick was bad, but he able to get out of it without a lot of damage. Uh, he gave up a single to Arenado. He walked Donovan, so not a good start. Dylan Carlson doubles to score Arenado, and the Cubs are 3-1. Uh, Juan Yepes flied out. That was it for Rowan Wick. But Scott Efros came in and struck out Harrison Bader and Lars Newtbart to limit the damage. So the Cubs are still in it. Uh, top of the eight with one out, Chris Morrell singles. He advances on a balk, and then Rafael Ortega Ties it up with a home run, and so fans are excited. Cup fans are excited, but in the bottom of the inning, it didn't hold. Mark Leiter came in for a second inning of work. Maybe Ross pushed that a little bit. Uh, with one out, Juan Yepes doubles. There's a wild pitch to move the pinch runner uh, to third. Uh, Bader was hit by a pitch. Uh, a sack bunt moves everybody, and then the cards take a 4-3 to lead and then a five to three lead on a Tommy Edmonds single. So frustrating. They were, involved. they were in the game. It wasn't terrible. Interesting that Adrian Sampson got the start. And then we found out that uh, Matt Swarmer was not going to be used in a starting role, but he was going to be moved into a bullpen role. 
And it was a good thing he was because that kind of takes us into game three. We talked in the last episode, how many starts is Hayward going to get? And right before game three, Ross tells beat reporters that Hayward has a knee issue. So Hayward started Friday. Velasquez got to start Saturday uh, and he looked good. Ortega started Sunday in right field. So that was interesting. Yes, it was. Um, and so we move into game three and we've got uh, Alec Mills versus Jack Flaherty. Um, I think I said it in the last podcast or I said it for sure on the Mully and Haw show, which you can catch now 530 to 10 on 670 to score. I do not need to see Alec Mills anymore in a starting role unless it is an absolute emergency. Right. And then this was a spot start. And, and I think they wanted to try something with Swarmer and it worked out. It just didn't work for Mills. Mills went uh, 2.2 innings pitch. He gave up six hits, five runs, one walk and one K. Uh, Jack Flaherty, I talked about this in the last episode that Jack um, only had two starts because they had a shoulder issue. And so what happens in this game is the Cardinals jump out to an early lead in the bottom of the first with one out Brendan Donovan triples, Goldschmidt walks, Arenado singles. Cardinals up one nothing right away. Uh, but the bottom of the second, Dylan Carlson is hit by a pitch. Bader flies out. Yvonne Herrera singles. Carlson moves to third. Edmund grounds into a force out. And now the Cubs trail to nothing. But it's the bottom of the third. Mills gets in trouble. He gives up three solo home runs to Donovan, Goldschmidt, and Juan Yepes. He's pulled, and Matt Swarmer comes in. And that's what we were talking about. It before is that what are these guys roles when we talk about Swarmer and Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele and Swarmer may be one of those guys and you saw Keegan have a lot of success before he was moved in the starting role piggybacking and Swarmer came in and really did a lot for the Cubs I was impressed I was really impressed he looked confident out there he's really dialed in and I was going to mention this after game uh, two, but I saved it because I knew that Goldschmidt was part of the attack when Mills gave up the three home runs. You know, another guy, like, could we just walk Paul Goldschmidt? Like, what's the point of pitching to Paul Goldschmidt right now? It's a tough one. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a notorious Cubs killer. He was bad when he was with the Diamondbacks. He used to beat on the Cubs. And then the Diamondbacks, of course, trade him to St. Louis. Thank you, Arizona. And he continues to torment the Cubs. So if you're going to give up a solo home run, that's fine. If there's guys on base, I'd prefer to walk him. Right. All right. So the top of the fourth, Crawley, is when the Cubs got everything going in their way. Four singles in a row. Uh, Nico, Jan Gomes, uh, Rivas, and, and that allowed a run to score. So the Cubs trail 5-1. Bodie gets the fourth single in a row. which So you got the bases loaded one out. Morell strikes out. Rafael Ortega with a huge double. Gomes and Rivas scores. Cubs trail 5-3. And Wilson Contreras uh, singled. And Bodie and Ortega score to tie the game. And that's where it will remain until we get to the top of the fifth. We have the ghost runner on second, the courtesy runner on second, Nelson Velasquez. Wilson singles. The Cubs are up 6-5. They could have scored more. They kind of left some runners on base. But Robertson comes in and, and absolutely nailed it down for the save. But it was really the Cubs bullpen that was the true hero of that game. They pitched 7.1 innings of shutout ball. Two hits, two walks, nine Ks. Uh, Swarmer went 2.1 innings. Martin, Wick, Gibbons, and Robertson all contributed. And Robertson looked like a guy that another team would really like in the postseason, especially if the Cardinals are the team to uh, make it to the postseason out of the National League Central. So some good news out of this one, Crowley. We got to fly the W two times. I was just, don't get swept. Um, and then Saturday was Saturday, and I was like, okay, let's get this one on Sunday. The Cubs have won four of their last five at Bush Stadium. Robertson picks up second save of the weekend. Contreras, four for 11, for 11 walks, three RBIs, bad news, the mill start. We talked about that. And you had teased this now twice, so I'm going to let you talk about Christopher Morrell. Yeah, uh, Christopher Morrell came, just absolutely exploded onto the scene. And I cautioned earlier that he's a young player. He didn't even go through AAA, jumped straight from AA. And he made it so that they could not send him back to Tennessee or even Iowa. He was doing so well. He had the on-base streak. Everything's looking good. But you're starting to see now that pitchers are got, have plenty of video on him now. They're starting to adjust to Morrell. He went two for 13 in the series, 
seven Ks, 10 left on base. And again, we talked about Wilson having a great series. He was awful. He, did, he was hitless in four games against Pittsburgh. He comes back and has a good series. But you expect that from a veteran. A veteran has that ability. Maybe it's just a little bad slump and you work your way out of it. Maybe, you know, maybe you make an adjustment uh, to kind of counter what the pitchers are doing to you. Now we see what happens with Morrell. You're seeing him getting a steady dose of breaking balls and a, a curveballs, sliders. They're not giving him the fastball. We've seen Morrell can hit the fastball absolutely fine. So we'll see what happens. Keep your eye on the Morrell situation. Uh, watch the next couple of series, and we'll see what happens. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is season one, episode 10. We are calling this one that's baseball and something we've promised from the get-go on this podcast is a look into the farm system talk about the young guys that might be part of the future for the cubs i don't know about the next great cubs team but at least the next cubs good team this time no exception we've got alex cohen talking to us right now on the fly the w podcast our next guest on the fly the w podcast is the voice of the iowa cubs your triple a affiliate Radio TV broadcaster Alex Cohen. How are you doing, Alex? Doing great. How are you, Carl? I'm doing all right, man. It's uh, you know, I'm looking here, and uh, you guys had a big, uh, big victory last night, huh? Yeah, yeah, one nine to three, and yeah, we're we're a team that prior to this road trip we lost, yeah, sixteen out of nineteen when it comes to road games, and yeah, won three out of four against Louisville, and yeah, the the artist formerly known as Clint Frazier, Jackson Frazier, had a two run double to start things off. Uh, in the first inning, and Darius Silas at 417 AAA games uh, had three hits, and Narciso Crook, who's been one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball over the last month, had three hits. So all the guys are you're expecting to do well right now who had been playing well played well, and that really played into a nine to three win for the I Cubs. So the I Cubs are part of the International League and, and International League West more specifically. You're at a 33 and 36 record. Mm -hmm. You know, when you look at records in minor leagues, we've talked to the single A guys, double A guys. I, I pay more attention to the records in single and double A than triple A because of the amount yeah. of movement that goes up and down. You don't really have like a cohesive team that for the most part stays no. together. So many transactions. Um, as far as this team is concerned, and especially with the Cubs right now, because you have, you don't, you know, there's so many guys that constantly we've had so many injuries and stuff like that, that has just been constant movement. Uh, how do you see that affecting the team? I mean, where it really impacts the Iowa Cubs is with starting pitching. And with the Cubs, you know, bringing up guys like Mark Leiter and Adrian Sampson, you know, over the course of a three or four day stretch, right there, you lose two of your starters. So you have to backfill it with bullpen guys. So now, you're throwing instead of one bullpen day a series, you're throwing three bullpen days a series. So it's really a trickle down effect for the pitching staff. Yeah, we've actually been lucky. Brandon Liebrand uh, a couple of days ago threw our first quality start. He was a spot start. So, yeah, first quality start of the year came from a spot start. Then Matt Dermody, who was a reliever his entire career, went five innings on Wednesday. And then he had Wyatt Short yesterday, uh, who made his third start of his career, 181 appearances, and his first AAA start. He started yesterday and threw four innings, gave up just one run. So it's really just a pish posh of, of starters and spot starters for the I-Cups when you have guys like Mark Leiter Jr. and Adrian Sampson and Connor Menez and Caleb Killian going up and down between the big leagues. It, it just results in some pitching staff instability, which you know, most certainly affects wins and losses at the AAA level. You know, the one thing I always wonder about, and we talk about the Iowa shuttle, you know, where these guys kind of keep going back and forth. Yeah, the I-80 shuffle, three turns, 100 and 370-some miles. Yep. Yeah, I always think about, you know, let, let's take an, uh, a Mark Leiter or let's take an Alfonso Rivas who was up and then down. How much time do you think they spent working on mechanical issues and how much time do you think they spend working on maybe mental issues if it was a struggle? Yeah, I think when you get down to AAA from the big leagues, it's a nice reprieve. You can work on everything. It's cumulative. You know, with Rivas coming down here especially, a lot of it was mechanical. Just watching him during batting practice and seeing him work on different things. And then in the game, his one or two strike approach in, in contrast to a 3-0 approach or a 2-1 approach, it's not what you see up in the big leagues. So he is most certainly working on mechanical issues and – just pace when it comes to hitting like a lot of it is on the field for him uh, and I think it's also the same with lighter it's just pitch execution um, and, and Caleb Killian when it comes down here he's going to work on trying to pound the zone and 
you know, when it comes to dealing with mental issues, I, I think that every player at any level deals with that when they're going through a mental rut and a confidence rut. And yeah, is it easier to do that at a triple A level and a double A level and a single A level rather than in front of 40,000 people at Wrigley Field, of course. But I think the majority of the time when the guys come down there, uh, they're working on, you know, physical adaptations and, you know, trying to, you know, manipulate what they're doing during batting practice and translating it into what they're doing it during the game. So I, I think it's a lot of, you know, physical repeating, going through some things, experimenting with some things physically um, that they wouldn't be able to do in front of 40,000 people on a game on Fox or Apple Plus or, or anything like that. Now, uh, the Cub fans up here have not been happy because, you know, I know about Jason Hayward getting the amount of starts. People really want to see Nelson Velasquez. He got to uh, have an opportunity the other day. He had a great double. I don't know if you saw that Javi Baez slide. Yeah, it was just yeah. amazing. But uh, tell me about a little bit about Nelson Velasquez and what you saw when he was down in AAA. I mean, he's the human tool. I mean, he's like not in like a negative like tool, like personality way. Like he runs fast. He hits the ball far. And what's the other one? He runs fast, hits the ball hard, uh, and he can field. So, I mean, like he just – everything that you would imagine out of a five-tool player, he can have. And it's raw. I mean, the strikeouts are still there, and um, there's still some swing and miss in his game. But, I mean, he's got probably 65 speed. He's got a 65 arm. He's got 65 power. I mean, that, that's something that doesn't just grow off of trees. It is a very rule – Raw, uh, raw prospect tool shit when it comes to Nelson Velasquez. I mean, my comparison to him is Yoenis Cespedes as light. And I'm not even meaning that as a diss. I, I think that he has the capability to lead Major League Baseball in outfield assists while also swiping 20 bases, while also hitting 25 to 30 home runs. I mean, he's got that type of potential. I'd like to see more of it personally. And uh, another one that uh, has stayed around for a little bit is Brandon Hughes. Uh, reliever for the Cubs. What did you see from Brandon when he was down there? I, I mean, I love the profile. I mean, a guy who was drafted as a center fielder and not only made the transition to a pitcher, but he did it later in his professional career. He actually spent the first year and a half as an outfielder. It was a pretty good one. He was like a 260 hitter. And they were just like, you know what? You're a decent player, but if you want to make it to the big leagues, you've shown a good arm in the outfield. Um, you didn't even pitch at college, but you've shown a good arm in the outfield. We're going to make you a pitcher. And for somebody to be able to, one, do that, and then three years later make it to the big leagues and put up a, you know, we're on a three ERA on a team that's struggling. I mean, he is just, he's a different breed. He's so focused. He's smart. Um, he doesn't overcomplicate things. His stuff's pretty good and will only get better. Um, I mean, you look at a guy that, you know, two years removed from being an outfielder, throwing 92, 93 with good secondary pitches, very precise. He didn't pitch in high school. He didn't pitch in college. He just started pitching in pro ball. So to have that type of repertoire and be able to throw strikes like that at the big league level, I mean, it is it's so impressive to me just seeing that yeah, him being able to do that with, with guys who have been pitchers their entire lives, not having as much command of the strike zone as Brandon Hughes does, been pitching for 48 months. So I, I give him the ultimate amount of credit. It's really impressive. Now, not only do you guys have the prospects that are down there, but you also have a lot of major league players come through on rehab assignments. Yep. Uh, how does that affect the clubhouse when the big leaguers come in and kind of kind of get to, uh, you know, hang out with them a little bit? You know, I, I think it's all a positive, um, aside from the fact that if you have too many big leaguers at one time, it takes away from some of the playing time of the regulars. But if you have one or two down, I think it really helps. It brings a big league mentality to the locker room just by the way that they get out on the field for early work and take batting practice and going through their pregame routine. What I see most is with early batting practice, like David Bodie you know, was always the first person in the locker room, first person out on the field. Well, with the times that David Bodie was out on the field at two o'clock, you would see then three players join him, then four players join him, then the entire you know right side of the infield and the outfield joins him. I think it's really you know, a motivation effect. Like, hey, if this is David Bodie, he's here in Iowa. He doesn't want to be here, but he's out on the field. Ninety-six degrees. It's two o'clock in the morning. We can do that too, as guys who have not been up to the big leagues and don't have that credibility yet. So, um, I think it's definitely a motivation tool for them. Um, but I do think that, like, let's say you have three or four rehabbers at one time and they're occupying, you know, half the spots in the lineup. It does take away from some of the the regulars and their playing time and their routine. But I but I do think that one or two rehabbers at a time is great. And and it was interesting with Bodie down there because when he when he first got on that rehab assignment, it didn't look too good. He had some dizzy spells. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, after after he took a little bit of a breather or whatever, 
he comes out and he's hitting lights out. Do you, you know, any insight into any of what was going on there? Nothing. I mean, I, I think that David's just been experimenting with some things physically. Like he was wearing glasses his first major league rehab stint. Um, and that didn't help. And then a second major league rehab said he wasn't. So he's been dealing with some equilibrium issues and trying to get settled and even keeled. And um, I think that just taking the, the what, seven to 10 days off and making sure that he was checked out, you know, neurologically, gastrointestinally uh, by major doctors saying that, hey, you're OK. You know, physically, like there's no life altering issues. Now, we'll try to figure out what's going on with you, but you're able to go play. I think that was a nice settling factor for him to be able to go down to Iowa and really be settled in and just be the David Bodie that we've become accustomed to in 2018 and 2019. I still think that he can be that player. I mean, he's a guy that, I mean, if you see the contract, he's making $3 million a year, you know, five years, $15 million, and you will get value out of that as a guy who can play second, play third, can you know, fill in in the outfield, can fill in at short. Um, and what we saw from a hitting perspective is ability to drive and run and ability to hit the ball to all fields. I mean, he drove in 10 runs in six games. One was uh, you know, a triple down the right field line and then a basis clearing double down the right field line. Then he roped a couple singles up the middle. So um, he's a guy who's using all fields. He's an experienced hitter. Um, and somebody who's been part of that clubhouse for the last five years. And I think that he could really help right now this transitional phase for the Cubs just with his versatility and his ability to hit all fields. Three guys that are, I would consider blue chip prospects down there. You know, you know, you mentioned one of them, Clint Jackson Frazier going by Jackson. Yeah. Now that was one that Cub fans were confused because he never seemed to really get playing time. And then he had yeah. the appendix issue and, and, and then he was DFA right before he gets to New York, which he, I know he was so excited yeah, about, right. you know, what, what do you see with him now this time around now that he accepted the assignment back in Iowa? There's a fire there. There is, you know, he came down and, yeah, I'm not saying that he wasn't like that during his major league rehab, but, you know, you see him during batting practice, it's a purpose. You see him during, you know, individualized fielding drills, base running drills at the early part of a series. I mean, there's a fire there. When he steps into the batter's box, um, there's a different type of incentive there. There's a, there was a kick in the backside for Clint. I'm not saying that he needed that because, you know, I think that he's a big, big league outfielder. I think, you know, David Ross said that he's a big league outfielder just from a caliber standpoint, but, um, you know, he had an RBI double yesterday. He had three hits the other day. And you could see why Jackson Frazier was the fifth overall draft pick a handful of years ago. I mean, he's somebody that the hit tool, the hand speed, it's there. Um, he was in left field. He was in right field over the last two games. He actually made two diving catches. So everybody talks about the defense being a struggle. I mean, he's been great since he's been back here. So um, I think that Clint Jackson Frazier um, is a big league caliber outfielder. And I, I think that. Yeah, everyone's making a big deal of the Jackson Frazier issue. Well, yeah, he came up to me like three days ago. I was just like, hey, you know, and very politely, very candidly, it's just like, hey, my friends and family back at home called me Jackson my entire life. I've always wanted to go by Jackson. Can you do that? It's not that uncommon. No. Yeah, we're, we're playing the Louisville Bats, and the Louisville Bats have a player, uh, Robbie Tenerowitz, who I actually knew from the uh, – not the Toronto Blue Jays, the, the Tampa Bay Rays organization. You know, he's on my team in Bowling Green. He now goes by Bird Tenerowitz, B-Y-R-D. Yeah, that was just his nickname. That's just what he wants to go by, and he goes by it. So it's really not that uncommon, and, and people were really jumping on it. It's just like, it's his middle name. It's on his birth certificate. Like, let let the guy be. You whatever you want to be called, whatever. I don't – just yeah. hit home runs, buddy. That's all yeah, I care about. <laughs> yeah, this goes him for 15 with four runs batted in over a four-game stretch. I don't care. Yeah, and then the other guy that uh, Blue Chick Prospect I think about is uh, Caleb Killian, who was acquired in the Chris Bryant trade. And, uh, you know, everyone was excited. And what I told people, you got to temper that excitement. The big leagues are tough. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it didn't help him that his defense, the last outing, didn't help. But the one thing that concerned people is just the uh, walk-to-strikeout issue because he always was a guy that seemed to really not have uh, control issues. Yeah. Uh, did, were you able to watch any of his big league starts? I know you have your own games to call, but did no, you ever I take did. a look at I, I do. And he had – I'm not saying he had control issues here, but the walk rate was a little bit higher. So if you look at his last year's stats, he went like 13 walks in 100-plus innings. It was, it was insane. And then this year he was right around the league average when it came to walk rate. Um, at the AAA level, then up in the big leagues, obviously that gets magnified a little bit because you try to get a little bit more fine. With your cutter, you grip the ball a little bit harder. And it just seemed like a case of him overthrowing a little bit, uh, being you know, a 24-year-old, making your big league debut on a big scale and trying to be fine and perfect and precise with every pitch. And naturally, when you try to do that, it doesn't happen that way. So I think Caleb coming down here and, and trying to get more command of his secondary pitches. 
Um, I think that he's, he's able to establish that, establish the cutter, establish, you know, establish the curveball. Then the fastball command will come. Because even you saw during his last outing, uh, last inning, he was able to command the fastball, just got hit a little bit. Um, so I think it's him just pitching off the secondaries. And his you know, cutter was ranked one of the best in the Giants system before he got traded for Chris Bryant. When he got to the AFL, you know, the Arizona Fall League, his cutter was tremendous. And then you combine that with a 97, 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Um, he'll be fine. I mean, there, there's struggles that come with young pitchers in the big league, especially Killian, who has like two years professional baseball experience. I'm not overly concerned about it. And then the one that all Cub fans are concerned about, we were so excited about the prospect of Brennan Davis coming mm -hmm. up. And, and you know, obviously, the, you know, when you get into AAA, it can, obviously every time you jump up, it's going to be guys that have better stuff. And you, yeah. you figured, okay, he's struggling a little bit to start off, but he's going to get it going. And then all of a sudden, it is this bizarre injury. Uh, could you tell that something was off or wrong when he was Yeah, there? I, I don't think that it was a bizarre Bizarre injury is tough just because, like, it's a back injury. You really don't know what, like, the ill effects of that are. End up having back surgery. But it wasn't something that you could, like, physically see. So, I guess um, it was a little bit surprising. Like, there was no, like, noticeable limp. There was no, like, certain play that kind of precipitated that type of injury. But, um, no, you could tell that, you know, he would bend down and pick up a ball and it was a little bit slower. Um, and his reaction time on the base pass was a little bit slower. Um, his reaction time in the batter's box is a little bit slower. So I think, as I said, it was a cumulative effect for Brennan. And yeah, I talked to manager Marty Peavy about it. And he, he let us know that like this is something that you know, wasn't as serious in spring training, but he was battling it in spring training. So to, be, to battle an injury and then come here and start in 36-degree Buffalo, and that doesn't really get the body warming up anyway either. So you, know, you get mired in a one-for-14 slump and it kind of spirals. But you could tell when we were in St. Paul when playing uh, his last games this year in May um, that something wasn't right. And he was trying to battle through it, and it's better right now at, at 22, 23 years old to nip that in the bud. You know, they say that it might not be season-ending surgery, but if it is, like, you want Brendan Davis to be playing in the big leagues at 24, 25, 26, to 34, 35, 36 years old with the Chicago Cubs. So that means having a back surgery, cleaning things up at the age of 22 and making sure that he plays again in 2023, I'm fine with that. I still think that he's a big league caliber player. I think he's a middle-of-the-order hitter. Remember last year when he made his debut against us, he had a home run in not just his first at-bat, but his first two at-bats. He had four home runs in his first four AAA games. That's the type of player that he can be, and that's the type of player I think he will be. Now, we all know that the trade line trade deadline comes end of, end of July, early August. And, and who do you see getting the call up to the big leagues that are currently on the Iowa roster? Yeah, I'll go right with the bullpen just because you have a lot of experienced bullpen arms up in the big leagues that have actually had really good years. You know, David Robertson's had a really good year. Chris Martin's been good recently. Michael Gibbons has been good recently. Um, you know, if you can get Daniel Norris healthy, like he could be a trade ship. But uh, I'm looking at two bullpen arms in particular who who I think will make an appearance up in the big leagues if they stay healthy. Uh, one is Ben Leeper, a top 30 prospect guy who was a non-drafted free agent out of Oklahoma State. Yeah, I call him Craig Kimbrell light. I mean, he's got the orange hair, the orange beard. He's a little bit less broad than Craig Kimbrell, but high octane, 96 to 97 miles per hour with a wipeout slider. He is the perfect two-pitch sequence to be a back end of the bullpen guy up in the big leagues for a long time. Just has to stay healthy. He's a guy who's had arm uh, issues in college, but you know they sidelined him for three weeks here just to give him a little bit of a rest and a reset, and he came back, and he's throwing BBs, like 96 to 97 consistently, good control. Uh, ben Leeper is a really, really, really good AAA arm who is a guy who could be a back end of the bullpen arm in the big leagues if it all goes well. So he'd be one. And the other one would be Eric Ullman, a former fourth-round draft pick for the Cubs. He was a former starter. They made him into a full-time reliever last year. And, and it's weird. He still has the the starting pitcher arsenal. He throws five different pitches, but he's just so much more aggressive in the back end of the bullpen. Uh, he's had three saves for us over the last week. Um, he's a guy who can throw 95, 96 when he wants to, but he can cut it, he can slide it, he can throw, you know, 12 to 6 curveball. He's got a nice changeup. And, you know, he's a guy who's just, he's an ox. I mean, you look at him, broad shoulders. He looks like a starting middle linebacker in football. He's a beast. Um, and he's somebody who, you put him in a tough situation, he'll get you out of it, or he'll give you the best situation to get you out of it. If he loses games, it's because the hitters are just executing. He will never beat himself. He'll throw strikes, and that's just something what you need up in the big leagues. So um, I think Eric Ullman would be one. I think Ben Lieber would be two. Um, not in any specific order, but I think they'll both be up in the big leagues and, and pay dividends for the big league club for a long time. 
One thing I love about Wrigley Field is you never know who you bump into. And I got to bump into you right. the other day outside of Wrigley Field. Yeah. And you got to make an appearance on Marquee. Tell me about that. It was awesome. Uh, so we had an off day. Um, we were actually flying from Toledo slash Detroit to Des Moines. And we were flying through Chicago. So um, I just overstayed my welcome a little bit. Um, stepped off the plane. Um, one of my best friends from college lives in Chicago. So I got to see my friend Ryan and his uh, one-year-old big-time baseball fan son Camden. That was a lot of fun. Um, and then I just contacted Marquis saying that I'd be in town. And they were just so gracious. Uh, they were awesome. They were just yeah, saying, we'd love to have you on our pregame show, talk with Cole, talk with Cam. Um, yeah, and, and then go on the broadcast with, with Boog and JD. I mean, they they rolled out the red carpet for me, what it felt like. And it just, it was such a welcoming feeling and I loved it. And I had never been in the Wrigley Field press box uh, before. I've never been in a big league uh, you know, TV radio booth before. You know, I've gone on air while doing it. So um, it was a really cool moment just being with Boog and JD and then looking out you know, in the middle of the fourth inning because I went on with them in the fourth inning and just seeing like a packed bleachers, Wrigley Field with like cool cotton candy cloud skies. And I had to take a deep breath. I'm like, holy crap, this is awesome. And just Wrigley Field is such a special place. Like I've been to 23 Major League Baseball stadiums. I'm not just saying that because I'm on a Cubs podcast with you, Crawley. I'm saying that because the old stadiums have a certain mystique and Wrigley Field has that mystique when you just, it kind of takes your breath away. It really does. Now, if you were telling the Cub fan who's never been to Iowa why they should show up to Principal Park, what would you say? It is the perfect minor league AAA experience. And there's some AAA ballparks that are newer and nicer constructionally. Like if you look at Charlotte, you have the complete skyline and the background of it for the Charlotte Knights. And I mean, that's cool, but. I'm a purist of a baseball fan. If you're looking for a pure AAA family fun, packed house, fans cheering type of experience, you want to go to the Iowa Cubs. You want to go to Des Moines and you want to go to Principal Park because that, in my opinion, and I've been to a lot of AAA ballparks, I've been to a lot of minor league ballparks, that right there, a Friday night at Principal Park with fireworks afterwards is what minor league baseball is. It's the pure definition of it. And I kind of wrote down a couple of the cool promotional days that you guys coming up yeah. Friday, July 1st is a citizenship ceremony. And yeah. my mom and my grandparents uh, became citizens of this country. And so nice. I think that's awesome that you guys uh, immigrants uh, that are going to get uh, their citizenship, take the oath yeah. pregame. And I think that's really cool, especially 4th awesome. of July weekend. You can't beat that Thursday, July 14th. You have Christmas in July. Mm -hmm. So that's got to be some fun. I know the kids love Saturday, July 18th, Marvel Defenders of the Diamond. Yeah. You got Avenger themed jerseys and Thor and Spider-Man right. are going to be there. And then uh, tell me about Saturday, July 17th, Outdoors Night, Hike to the Ballpark. Yeah, so we have a couple um, a couple sponsors uh, for the people who love to fish and love to bike and, and, and love to hunt and you know, they'll come down to the ballpark and you know, all those representatives from those stores will throw out a first pitch. It's really fishing, fishing laden where you'll, you'll be able to walk into the ballpark and see all this new fishing equipment. Um, you'll see pictures. There's a lot of artwork when it comes to you know, people who go fishing and they sell that. Um, and, and then if you, you know, if you like the outdoors, if you like doing things outdoors, if you like hiking, you like swimming, you like fishing, you like hunting, come on down to the ballpark. Uh, because there'll be ways for you to get involved, whether it's a raffle or whether it's uh, tickets and, it, it, it's a lot of fun. I'm not that much of a hiker. I mean, as you could tell by my natural physique, I'm more of just like a stroller and a walker, but um, I love to swim and, you know, I, I like to fish sometimes. So I'll enjoy that night. And then Sunday, August 7th and Saturday, August 27th, the Iowa Cubs become the Demonios, which right. have a really awesome Jersey and hat. And I've seen a lot of people buy those. So yeah. that's gotta be, that's always a fun. I like when they change it up a little bit, you know? Well, I do too, and, and it's part of minor league baseball's initiative started in 2019 um, to to really try to influence the Latinx community and coming down to the ballpark. And um, you know, in years past, before that, I mean, there's there's a Latinx community when it comes to the baseball players, and they want to feel at home in the ballpark. And what we learned is Latinx, you know people and players and those in the community, they love baseball. They just don't often come to games. Yeah, they, and we really love integrating that. The Demonios did Des Moines. The Demonios were an old moniker for, you know, they were formerly the Iowa Cubs. They were formerly the Iowa Oaks. Well, before that, they were the Demonios de Des Moines or the Des Moines Demons. Um, so we really like the, the lineage when it comes to that. Um, but it's really cool. We have mariachi bands. We have taco trucks. Uh, I'm a big taco truck fan, oh. so I, I really enjoy. Can't can't beat a good taco from a taco truck. 
Um, so I really like the Demonio Stedemoy. We have um, we have four yeah, Copa games this year. Um, our last one's on September 16th. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, one that I'm looking forward to this Tuesday, it's one of two, it's dog days. It's not just your dollar hot dogs. It's you could bring your pooch to the ballpark. It'll be my dog, Jax's first time at the ballpark. They do a little puppy parade before the game. I feel bad for the stadium operations crew has to follow each dog with a bag in hand so they don't you know, poop on the pitcher's mound or anything. But um, I love it. I just love all the stuff that goes along with minor league baseball. It just it makes the thing so much fun. It's a blast. Alex, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they catch the Iowa Cubs games? Yeah, well, uh, hopefully you uh, you follow at Iowa Cubs first and foremost, uh, yeah, where we can you post highlights, you post schedules, you post promos- promotional schedules as well. Um, you can find me at, at Voice of Cohen, V-O-I-C-E-O-F-C-O-H-E-N. Uh, if you want to send me a direct email, it's alexc at iowacubs.com. And, uh, and yeah, just uh, you can listen to us on AM 940 in the Des Moines area. Actually, our signal goes out up to Minneapolis, out to Kansas City, and out to Omaha. So it's a statewide web. And uh, if you're looking to watch Iowa Cubs games on MILB TV, we have, yeah, I think, the best production staff in the entire country when it comes to that. I think Justin Walters does a great job. He's our you know, director of creative services, along with Matt Evers. And um, I, I think they, they do a really good job. And I think that our, our broadcast, not just, you know, play by play, which you know, I, I take a lot of pride in, but just the camera angles and the promotional crew, I think they do a tremendous job. Alex, I appreciate you jumping on and we'll do it again in the future. Let's do it. Thanks so much, Crawley. I appreciate it. Take care. You're listening to season one, episode 10 of the fly, the W podcast. We hope you liked the interview we just had with Alex Cohen. Great guy. Now the Cubs had a day off on Monday. We're recording this on Monday and then the Reds come to town. Yes, that is the Reds. They are in the cellar. The Cubs just ahead of them. Crowley, what are you expecting to see the next Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night with the Reds coming into Wrigley field? Well, the Cubs are five and five in their last 10 while the Reds, uh, they, they had that awful start and then they had a good run and now they're slipping back. They're two and eight in their last 10. So we have as we have the probables and, and you couldn't ask for anything better. So three pitchers that we really want to kind of take a look at. And, and, and if you wanted to line it up, this lines up perfectly for the Cubs. So hoping that they can really do, you know, the pitchers kind of come and, and do a great job against the Reds. So game one is Tuesday night at Wrigley. You can also hear it on the score. And a little birdie told me, Crawley, that you might actually be in attendance. Yeah, I'll be there. And I'm excited because it's Keegan Thompson's night. So a Keegan Thompson start. I'd love to see it uh, versus Luis Castillo. Uh, When you look at, uh, and that's a 705 start on 670, the score, as we discussed. Uh, Luis Castillo is a guy that we really thought was just going to be a really dominant pitcher. And it just kind of hasn't worked out that way. Keegan's coming off two good starts against Atlanta and Pittsburgh. He hasn't faced Cincinnati so far this season so as a starter, so let's see what happens with that. Uh, Luis Castillo had, in his last two starts against the Diamondbacks, he went seven innings pitch, four hits, three runs, six K against the Dodgers. Um, and so we'll, he, he, he struggled in his last start. The Cubs do pretty well against Castillo. You, Wilson Contreras, if you're playing beat the streak, 467 and 15 at bats. So I'm excited about that. Ian Happ batting 364 and 22 at bats. Even Jason Hayward, his knee may be fa- feeling better because he bats 333 with 24 at bats against uh, Luis Castillo. So, you know, good opportunity here. We'll see what happens. Well, if these are the final days of Wilson Contreras as a Chicago come, I'd love to see him beat up on Cubs pitching on his way out of town. All right, so that's game one. Again, Keegan Thompson is the thrower, and of course, all eyes should be on that. That's why Cubs fans should be dialed in to Cubs radio, this podcast, to see things like Keegan Thompson. And and now game two. It's going to be on Wednesday, of course, at Wrigley Field, and it's Justin Steele Crowley in that one. Yeah, Justin Steele versus Hunter Green. Um, Steele's last start against the Reds, May 26. Uh, he gave up, it was a uh, one to forget. Two innings pitch, seven hits, seven earned runs, two walks, two Ks. That was the one where the Reds went off for like 20 runs. So not a great start for Keegan, but obviously he's done better. Against the Braves, he went five innings pitched, uh, five hits, two earned runs, three Ks. His last start against the Pirates. It's deceiving. He went 5.2 inning pitch. We talked about VR in his glove. That was the one where the defense was just awful. So, you know, he gave up seven hits, five earned runs, eight Ks though in that game. So he had to get six outs every inning. So it wasn't really his fault. 
Uh, Hunter Green is that, you know, young uh, Reds prospect that's just throwing a lot of heat. Uh, two starts to go against the Brewers. He went five innings pitch, four hits, four un- earned runs, six Ks. So, and in his last start, he went uh, five innings pitch, nine hits, six earned runs, two walks, and three Ks. But Hunter Green can really uh, put it up there, you know, triple digits every now and then. So I'd like to see how he does against uh, Christopher Morrell. That might be a good matchup, but neither teams ha- have huge numbers against each other. There's not a lot of uh, that you can glean from the numbers there. No, and again, Justin Steele, worth the price of admission. I will be tuned in. I will be listening. I'm really excited. Keegan Thompson, game one on Tuesday. Game two on Wednesday will be Justin Steele. And then, Crowley, we get game three. We get Kyle Hendricks. We talked about him in the first segment of the podcast. He had an unbelievable night down in St. Louis against the Cardinals and just was able to beat them, which just made me smile from ear to ear. So we get a Kyle Hendricks and we like to see if he can put two good quality starts together in a row. So against the Reds on 525, last time he faced them, he didn't do terrible. It was, it was four innings pitch, five hits, four runs, one walk, one K, but it was a uh, Joey Votto, one man wrecking crew there. The Cubs lost four to three, but Votto tripled in Homer and had three RBIs. So, as we talked about earlier, Hendricks stinks against the Atlanta Braves and he's awesome against the Cardinals. So the last two starts, that's who he faced. So we'll see how he does against Cincinnati. Hopefully, like you said, another quality start. Uh, Graham Ashcraft made his first start May 22nd. So he wasn't originally part of the Reds rotation, but he's had two starts, uh, uh, two starts to go against the Brewers. He went five innings pitch, eight hits, six earned runs. But the last start against the Giants, he went eight innings pitch, six hits, two earned runs. So let's see what the Cubs do. They've never faced him in any kind of role before. So hopefully uh, they can get to him and score some runs. Absolutely. We want the Cubs to score more runs. We want to fly that W. I'm going to say two out of three in this one. We'll get Crawley's prediction in just a minute. But earlier today, Monday, on the Mully and Haw Show, John Heyman always joining the guys in the 7 o'clock hour. You can catch the interview on the Odyssey app if you missed it. But we had a piece of sound in regards to Kyle Hendricks that we wanted to share with you. It's going to be, you know, something that is is uh, it's, it's easy to identify this rebuild. Now, in that context, Kyle Hendricks, he was great on Friday night. Vintage Hendricks. Is he somebody that you think will be uh, pursued during the trade deadline? Will teams want to look at that two years left and $30 million on his deal and think, okay, we'll give up something for Kyle Hendricks to help us in a pennant race? Yeah, I I do think so. I mean, even when he was going poorly uh, for most of this year, I thought teams would be interested in Kyle Hendricks. He's certainly reliable. He's one of the few pitchers who never seems to be hurt, and he does have it in him. We've seen it, obviously, in the past. Um, so, And there's a lot of need for starting pitching all around baseball. So I, I do expect that he, there will be a market for Hendricks. I'd put him on that list with Robertson, <clears throat> Contreras, and, uh, and the other Cubs players who will be out there in the market and uh, be pursued by other teams. So that was from the Mully and Haw show earlier today, 670 The Score. You can check out the interview in its entirety on the Odyssey app. You can always listen on the Odyssey app when we are live as well. Again, this is the Fly the W podcast, Season 1, Episode 10. Title of this one is That's Baseball. And Crawley, I'd love to get your reaction to Kyle Hendricks potentially moving on from the Cubs. That surprised me a bit, and I I will tell you why. I think that Kyle... When you're talking about needing pitching for the playoffs, usually you're looking for guys that are going to push you over the top. And I think Kyle Hendricks in 2016, 17, 18 was that guy. Is Kyle Hendricks a guy where, you know, on a playoff caliber team, where would he slot in? Would he be a top three starter? Remember when you get into the postseason, usually most teams don't go more than four starters. You never see a fifth starter. And now more and more, you're starting to see him being, you know, three starters. So I just don't know if a, a true playoff team has Kyle Hendricks in the top three of their rotation. The other thing I think about is that the Cubs have to have something. You have, you literally can't give away every single player on your roster and feel the triple A team. I know that's what it feels like right now, but that's not what's happening. Kyle Hendricks is a guy that, as, as John Heyman points out, 
He stays relatively healthy. He takes the ball 30 times, however many times a season, and, and, and can give you a lot of good quality starts. I think he has more value as a bridge guy to the next good Cubs team. I, I just can't imagine. I mean, what would you have if you got – you want more Alec Mills start? You, you've seen – with when all of our guys were injured here, when you're talking about Stroman and Miley Smiley and even Kyle, who who missed a couple starts with a you know resting his shoulder a little bit, how bad that was, how the young guys got tattooed, how the bullpen got abused uh, and, and overworked, and it just has an absolute domino effect. You have to have some major league ready starters. We we've talked about it ad nauseum about how we're seeing Miley and Smiley looking like they're gone, no doubt. And then you have Stroman who's on a pretty good contract, but I, you have to at least have two quality major league starters, even if they're not the top tier starters. Uh, and you have to have some depth behind that. And so there's no way I can see them trading Kyle Hendricks. I don't know about you, Dustin. I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying and I, I don't disagree at all. The, the, I guess it's all about the future and what you're going to get back. Um, if they think the division is going to be winnable next year, then keep Kyle Hendricks around because he is also baseball affordable, right? He's got about 30 million left after next year over the course of two years. So that's, you know, I'd love to have 30 million over the course of 20 years, but in two years of baseball, that's affordable these days. So you'd have to knock my socks off as a fan on what you were going to get back. If you were indeed going to move on from Kyle Hendricks. The other thing I question is, you know, how much does Kyle Hendricks want to get involved in the progression of, you know, your Justin Steele's, your Keegan Thompson's, your Caleb Killian's. Does he want to be that, that kind of a, a mentor, if you will. And I think he could do good in that if that was something he wanted to do. So Crowley, before we wrap this one up, I had said two out of three. Are you uh two out of three? And are you talking about getting the broom out in this one? Boy, two out of three seems, seems really good, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to go with the sweep. I'm going to say the Cubs take it. I, I have a feeling that Keegan and Justin are going to look really good. And then the Kyle one has me a little bit more nervous, but you know, against Graham Ashcraft, I think hopefully that the, the Cubs can uh, adjust to him fairly quickly and, and we can take the broom out, fly the W three times. And, and Wrigley always sings a little bit louder when it's a sweep. All right. Two out of three for me, Crowley's got the sweep. And I'll tell you what, if they don't win one, there'll be language for both of them. That would be on season one, episode 10. So season one, episode 10 is in the books. That's baseball. We'll be back with episode 11 later that this week. We appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys liking. We encouraging you guys to subscribe if you have not already. How about you, Crowley? Absolutely. And follow us on all our socials on Facebook, fly the W on Instagram and Twitter, fly the W 670. And don't forget to email us any thoughts, suggestions at fly the W 670 at gmail.com.